Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 75, The Turkey Hangover, recorded November 25th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, everyone, after Thanksgiving here in the U.S. Uh, we are all uh, suffering from tryptophan overdose and have had more green bean casserole in the last four days than we had in the entire 360 days preceding. So uh, welcome to um, the show. Welcome back, Chris, the command line godfather. Hi, Chris. Hello, hello, everyone. How's it tonight? And Seth, the gooey kid, Anderson. Hi, Seth. Hello, everyone. Gooey forever. <laughs> gooey Ooh. forever. Speaking of gooey, I made some fireplace s'mores this this week. Actually, just today and yesterday. Those were gooey. Um, we're enjoying the uh, the fact that we've got a fireplace in our house now. We haven't had one. The The house we had lived in previously didn't have one. Um, so we're... Uh, it's only... Chris, you'll like this. It's like 55 degrees outside. Uh, and, 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 you know, nice and, and, and sunny, but still we got to have the fireplace. It's, it's after Thanksgiving. It's the Christmas season. We got to have a fire in the fireplace. That's um, horrible. <laughs> yeah. I actually have to open the windows. It's so hot with the fireplace and we're opening the windows. So it cools down a little bit. Uh, consider turning the air conditioner on. You suck. That's all I can say. Of course, it hasn't been too bad up here in, in, you know, lower third of Canada or whatever you want to call it. Or whatever slang you want to throw my way, but you know we are currently at around eighteen degrees Fahrenheit. It's nice. <laughs> it's a balmy day. It is. It actually was a really good day. I I went out and checked, took out the garbage, and did the mail and all that stuff, barefooted and in a pair of sweats. That's funny. <laughs> eighteen degrees here is batting down the hatches and don't even leave to check the mail weather. <laughs> I thought that was the temperature hell froze over. Uh, so. so being that I am now a full-fledged yuppie living in the city, no longer uh, the rural life for me, um, I didn't have firewood. And since it's a rental property, I can't just go out in the backyard and cut down a tree, which is what you would do, Seth. Um, yes, it's what I did do. Yes. Uh, or what I would do. <laughs> so I had, to, uh, I had to do the supremely yuppie thing. I went to Lowe's and bought a bag of firewood. That's horrible. Yes, isn't it terrible? Um, oh, you—they charge you so much for those. Yes, but it was—it was all I could do, right? It was a buck a log, five dollars a bag for wow. five log—not not whole logs, five pieces of wood in a bag. Wow! So, so, so it was like five dollars a cord, basically. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. So, um, wow. I uh, um, bought a couple of bags just to get us through the uh, through the weekend, just to, for a couple of fires. You know, just for the fun. And I thought, you know, we've got this thing. Let me call up. And, and we were driving down the road, and there was a, a place that had a sign out that said Firewood. Uh, so we called them up uh, on their way home from church, actually, this this afternoon. Um, and so, Seth, if you were uh, to buy Firewood, I know you don't. I know you cut your own. But if you would, uh, what would you expect the turnaround time to be uh, once you, from the time you ordered it to the time it arrived? Um. It, probably if I did it on a weekend, I would say later that day, but tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. I was, I was, we called up, uh, expected the guy to say, you know, we'll be out there tomorrow, maybe, maybe Tuesday. And, and right. we were fine with that. 
Um, this was uh, two forty-five on a Sunday afternoon. The guy said, right. "All right, we'll be there in ten minutes." <laughs> so wow. he literally Whoa. almost beat us to the house. We were we were on the way to the house. He was like, "I have I happen to be loading a truck right now. It's almost loaded. Um, we'll head over there." And he was just a couple of miles down the road from where I live. So it was it was kind of crazy. So I bought uh, half a quarter wood, which in Yuppieville will last me well into July. So I've got I've got a ton of wood stacked up on my back deck. Because, you know, we're just, we've got central heat. We're not burning a fire for heat. We're just burning it for fun. Right. Yeah. But the kids were super excited. We made fireplace s'mores. And um, I've been teaching them the the ways of the fire. You know, I've, the uh, the special art of, of building a fire. You throw some wood on right. it, you turn the gas on. That's the kind of fireplace uh. we have. <laughs> So I tell him stories about, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have that. And he'd like wad up a piece of newspaper and put it in the middle. And then I had to explain to him what a newspaper was. Um, and then you'd stack the wood up. You got to get it just right so you there's throw enough the air. the iPad in the stove, Dad. <laughs> and you got to get it so there's enough air in there. And then you've got to put some small wood on t- some kindling. Okay, well, kindling is very small pieces of, of wood without... Um, okay, well, you chop that with an axe. Okay, an axe is... <laughs> It turned into this yeah. whole thing, and I realized they are growing up in this whole different world. And, and forget you know, it. Just watch this YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs> Have them come up and visit me for a summer or for in the winter. I bet you they'll uh, they'll run screaming. I know a bunch of well, oil riggers that are doing that right now too. So that's kind of funny. Yeah, we cut some wood this weekend um, at this guy's place, and oh my gosh, the trees were so big around. My saw wouldn't even cut halfway through it i have an 18 inch saw but these trees were like 40 inches and i couldn't Dang. even split the wood i like to split wood but this was too much for me so uh that's, yeah that's, I, it was too much so i ended up pretty, uh, a friend of mine is going to get a splitter yeah i was gonna say that's some pretty heavy duty wood if they're that big around yeah that's when you gotta yeah. bring in the hydraulics yeah the guy um he had just bought the place, and these were trees that had been cut down there, and he wanted them gone. We when when we cut them into like the eighteen inch sections, he still got a tractor out to load them onto the trailer. They were, they were. I was mighty tired at the end of the day. And this was just out in your backyard, right? Well, no, this was a a, a friend of mine needed wood, and I was okay. going to help him cut. And he saw an ad on Craigslist for free wood. And we showed up and was unprepared for the um, <laughs> size of the trees. <laughs> you you uh, turned into logmen, huh? Yeah. For a little bit. Yeah. I told him, you know, you could have just came to my house. I have some trees that are not near that big around that I need to cut down. And uh, we could have been done. But uh, Yeah, see, that's, know. If, if you don't know, if you're not from the country, uh, I suppose it's like this all, any, any rural area, not just in the south. Uh, but if you... Uh, um, the way you get firewood is you look at the trees that are getting in your way for whatever reason. They're they're blocking out the sun and your plants aren't getting a thing or there's two trees too close together and one's crowding out the other. And what my grandmother used to do uh, was she'd tear up an old uh, dish rag or whatever and just tie a little uh, a ribbon, essentially, around the trees that she wanted gone. And then my brother and myself and my grandfather would go out there with the with the axes and the chainsaw and cut everything with a ribbon on it. And then by the next year, there would be more trees that had gone up, you know, that they, they weren't too big this year, but they were too big next year. And there was this constant supply of trees, and you were essentially making the forest healthier when you did that, and you had firewood. Well, and plus the drought we had 
that took a lot of them out. And so they're dead, but they're still standing. Right. So we wanted to, you know, cut them down before they fall down. So, so. all of you conservationists out there saying we are murdering trees, uh, just why are you even listening to the show? Go away. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want everyday tree hugging. That's uh, on down the uh, internet. Uh, but there's, you know, there is responsible and reasonable methods for deforestation. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, we don't, forest fires aren't a big deal anywhere I've lived, but people out in California and in that area can tell you that you need to, to thin those forests or the forest fires run unchecked. So yep. firewood is healthy and it's a good thing. And, and it's, it's been scientifically proven that smoke makes your lungs stronger. I just made that up. <laughs> well, charcoal does, and you can't get charcoal without burning stuff. So <laughs> there you go. So, Chris, I'm almost afraid to ask because there are so many variations, and this could go down so many uh, roads. But what is the c word? The c word is two of my. I have a friend and a family member who has been struck with the c word, as in cancer. Ah, uh, that's so. Uh, this has been a long and hard couple of weeks. So, if ever, if anyone's wondering why I've been so quiet and disappeared and not online at all basically that's why um a good yeah, friend of mine been... um i don't I, he he listens to some of our shows i i know he doesn't listen to this one because he's not that big a geek his name is kevin um in the last three years he uh has battled cancer then his wife uh um was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer they fought through that uh while she was still in her treatments his cancer came back, and he's currently right now at this very moment uh, in a hospital uh, undergoing bone marrow transplants. Um, Good luck. Cancer That's is evil, wish for him. and I want it to go away. Yeah, my Someday. dad has had um, – he's had cancer, but it's currently in remission, and, like, the operations have gotten it all. So, yeah, yeah cancer touches a lot of people. And I'm firmly convinced that this is going to be one of those things where – 150 years from now, people are going to be reading textbooks and saying, they did what? They injected these people with poison? Are you kidding me? What is it? This is like cutting a triangle-shaped hole in their head. This is this was supposed to be the enlightened era. What were they thinking? Uh, and I, I long for that day. It can't come quickly enough because that's uh, what see. we're doing. We're re irradiating people and poisoning them in an effort yeah, to save their lives. Say, well, I'm sorry, we were all out of leeches. What were we supposed to do? Yeah, so. yeah. Bring back trepanning. Uh, it's and you know, uh, to any oncologist who may be listening, um, I'm not ridiculing your job. You are uh, doing the best you can with what you have. But let's face it, what you have are stones and flints, and we need better tools, and we need more research, and we need lots of money spent to eradicate this thing called cancer. Yeah, I agree. Yes. And in, in regards to that, we haven't mentioned it. Uh, this is uh, uh, Movember, a couple of days left in it anyway. Uh, in, uh, I have been growing a beard. Uh, those of you who have been watching the video, as has Chris, uh, it's uh, in uh, solidarity or awareness raising, whatever you call it. Uh, men for throughout the month of November do not shave uh, to allegedly bring awareness to prostate cancer. And uh, so... Yeah. <laughs> the cancer comes in many forms you know breast cancer has uh gotten a lot of press lately and that's great susan g Komen foundation has done wonderful stuff 
uh, but cancer affects everybody. Um, and so if you're looking for some place to uh, give some charitable um, giving at the end of this year as you're closing out your finances and you want the tax break, uh, pick a cancer research fund and give generously. Definitely. Yes. All right, on to less sad things. Definitely. Come on, let's make me happy again. <laughs> it's always up for less sad things. Rainbows and unicorns and fluffy bunnies. Oh my! And zombies to shoot in the head. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen? Uh, there's a comic I saw on the web. I don't remember who to credit it to, but it was like a perpetual perpetual motion generator. It's a zombie on a treadmill with a brain dangling in front of him. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> I have not seen that, but that would be cool. Yeah, because you know they never get tired, they never stop. So it's like the old carrot and the stick thing. You you have a brain dangling in front of a zombie on a treadmill, and he'll generate power indefinitely. That sounds that sounds great. That's Zom- funny. Zombie of perpetual energy. So uh, anything else, guys? Before we dive into the Linuxy stuff. I know, I know, that's ridiculous, right? But this is, in yeah. fact, a Linux show, so maybe we should do what? it once in a while. Linux stuff on a what? What are you talking yeah, about? Totally what is unprepared this? for that. Yeah, we don't. Oh I thought the name of the show was the Everyday Warm Up. <laughs> I, I was reading a forum post recently about one of our shows, uh, Faduntu. Maybe it was one one of the OSs we reviewed, uh, okay. and, and somebody linked to it and said, "Hey guys, this podcast did." a uh, a review of us and pointed a link to it. I thought, that's kind of cool. And then the very yeah. next post was, skip to 42 minutes and 18 seconds to get to the actual review. <laughs> oh. No, that's your, <laughs> you know, you listen to the whole thing. And then I thought, 42 minutes, really? Did we really go on for 42 minutes before we actually talked about the, the distro? Uh, and then your next thought was, wow, that's a short week for us. <laughs> Yeah, we've talked about this before. You know, if you if you're unhappy with that, I just find another show to listen to because that's the way we're going to do it. But hey, or feed us more topics so we have more stuff yeah. to talk about. If you're out there and you would like to be the guy who listens to our show and posts in the forum, you know, 47 minutes and 18 seconds to get to the good stuff, you go right ahead. I I applaud you for that. Um, and if there's anybody out there who's just really bored. And would like to uh, take on the ta- uh, task of transcribing the show. I've been looking for uh, some some transcriptionists. I'd love to have a better show notes than we have, and be an in- a searchable index of uh, of the shows. And it would be awesome to do that. But um, the services that do that are expensive. The software that do that does that sucks. Uh, so it's really going to be a right. person, a volunteer, is going to raise their hand and say, "Yes, I will transcribe every show." So if you're a guy who literally has nothing better to do uh, raise your hand let me know um or, or don't even do that just start emailing me transcripts i won't even read them you can insert all sorts of funny stuff in there <laughs> and i will never know the difference that don't that's almost a scary thought there mark it'd be funny but almost a scary <laughs> thought and this is the part where mark talks about killing bunnies in the name of zaphod uh, <laughs> um okay so Seth, does yes. Linux save anybody any money ever? Well, it apparently has saved over 10 million um, 
euros, so which equates to over 12.8 million at the exchange rates when this article was written. Uh, it's been saved by the city of Munich since they have developed and implemented their own Linux platform. Um, you know, we've talked about them. It's way back uh, earlier in the sh like maybe over a year ago, you know, because they did that whole thing about studying and switching uh, and the, like the year-long migration to Linux. But yeah, so they have saved over 10 million euros. And the article, I would assume that maybe this is total cost savings because it doesn't say whether it is like a yearly thing or whatever. But um, anyway, I just thought it was cool that, you know, here is where Linux does save money. But one of the reasons it did save money is because they implemented it on such a large right. scale that, you know, they didn't, you know, the support and the training and all of that was worth it because they could do it in mass. Yeah, I've been following this story for a long time. Uh, it's been years in the making. Uh, and the entire city of music, Munich, which is a large city, uh, right. sort of made a, a law, basically, that said if you're a city business – you will use um, an open source product for everything. We, we will no mm -hmm. longer have Windows. We will no longer have Microsoft Office. Everything will be um, open source. And it was a big deal. And they, they spent a long time phasing it in. It wasn't a, all right, y'all go do it. Uh, they phased it in. They, they trained users heavily. They spent time uh, adapting existing documents. And there was a lot of um, question about, in the end, would this be worth it financially? And uh, what what I kind of liked was one of the articles I read was if there's a financial gain that's a bonus, but we're really doing this because government should be transparent, and that transparency should involve all the way down to formats and op operating systems, and not just um, you know the the policies. Uh, right. Most uh, most European countries are much more open with their government like that. Uh, blanket statement that's obviously wrong uh so uh, uh so it's, it was an interesting thing they they were really fo following the philosophy more than the money but it's nice to know that uh that the money followed with it um yes and while i'm so, sure the euro is fine and has supported their economy i miss saying deutschmark because that was such a great word <laughs> deutschmark yes yeah it's a, it's a cool thing i mean that, that just goes to show that you know, if if somebody wants to put forth the effort, you can migrate away from Microsoft. You can do your day to day living outside of the Microsoft treadmill. Because here's proof. And I did it uh, at the school where I worked. We never moved completely off the desktop, but we did move completely off of Microsoft Office for a long time. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, we turned out lots of kids. It we did it long enough that uh, pretty much an entire group of high schoolers uh, started as freshmen and left as seniors, never having used, or not never, but on a regular basis, didn't use Microsoft Office. And you know, and, and not a one of them left crippled. And not a one of them yeah. did I hear them come back and say, "You ruined me. I can now not type anything ever at college because they use Office and we didn't." Um, but as as often happens in those situations, the leadership changed and the rules changed. So we went back to Microsoft. Yeah, I got into a discussion with a 
with my boss at a school, one of the school districts I was in, and he, we had the whole open source versus Microsoft, and he was like going on and on about how they needed to use, they needed to learn Office because it's what they used in in the world and all that. And so I asked, you know, and he was my age, so late 30s, early 40s, and I asked him, so did you learn on Office 2007 or 2010 in high school? then and he goes oh well since they teach that that's what we need to align the grades to so when i pointed out the flaw in his logic totally switched <laughs> gears and switched the argument uh i don't know i guess uh, he didn't like being uh showed you know that the, his logic didn't matter because really if you learned on say office xp current open office or libra office is much closer to what you used than the current version of office and yeah, I'm and, sure until the next version comes out, then it'll be as different. And that's how all arguments of a religious nature go. Yes. I am right, and I will alter my argument in whatever way necessary to retain my rightness. Um, yes. And, and you listen to a Mac versus PC or a Linux versus Windows, and you could substitute Koran and Bible in there, and the arguments are exactly the same. It really is a religious experience. Right. Yes, I reject your reality and substitute <laughs> yeah. one of my own making. Adam Savage. Uh. <laughs> yep, it's so true. It's sad almost. So uh, one of the byproducts of people moving more to Linux um, is Linux is getting to the point where hackers aren't ignoring it so much anymore. Uh, and we, yeah. we have one of our first drive-by rootkits uh, aimed at Linux. Yeah, and it uses an I-form or an I-frame injection intact, which is kind of an an interesting thing because that's what Windows had for a long time. They were I-frame intacts, um, so it's kind of an interesting thing that they're trying, you know, the same sauce to to get to to Linux. And it looks like the the code that the these people in in Kaspersky's had found is very very still in development, beta, alpha type testing. Um, and it, it tries to tie into the kernel, but they're tying into a kernel that's old. Um, the, the kernel that the, this particular rootkit was aiming for was uh, the Debian Squeeze 64-bit um, kernel, uh, 2.632 kernel. So that would be probably more like a, a maybe the um, Ubuntu server long-term release cycle kernel or... For the Red Hat kernel that would be enterprise-grade type kernel. Um, it's kind of interesting, though, that they're targeting these older kernels to see to try to get a hold of the enterprise-grade and not the propeller hat geeks that are running on the newer kernels. Well, well, do you think that part of it could be just that it was targeting a specific thing that they know is using that kernel, and maybe that's why it's out there? I think it's for two reasons. One, you've got to go back that far to find a broken kernel. It's been fixed a long time yeah. ago. Uh, and it's only on these distributions that are slow to, to make changes that it's still effective. And secondly, um, enterprise targets are going to be richer targets. Uh, you're, oh, yeah. you're, you're going to get more off of an enterprise server than you would off of uh, you know a college kid's laptop. Right. And, you know, it's the same way most of the targets that target Windows, most of them 
target ones that were addressed by security fixes a month or two ago, but because in the Windows world, most people don't update, you know, there's a, you got a large segment of the population that you can't affect. So Magi Obi-Wan in the chat room says that servers won't have a web pages being opened on it. That's simply not true. Um, right. Most sir, of the time. In a perfect well, world, that would be true. <laughs> I was going to say a lot of a lot of there's a lot of configuration dialogues that people use web page you know just web addresses in general on, you know Mark's favorite little Samba config program, that would be, you know that it wouldn't necessarily be a vector of infection, but that just proves that you know people do open web pages on servers. Right. HTML pops up everywhere whether you're on the web or not. So it's right. not a server admin sitting at his CentOS uh, 4 server browsing YouTube. No, that's that's not it. This this code, this injection code, is designed to be slipstreamed into something that a server would use. And like Seth said, it's very... Um, or Chris, one of you. I, I need to pay more attention. One, like one of you said, it's very uh, uh, highly targeted, uh, and it's not. Uh, it's not something. And it's early proof of concept. So it's not out there in the wild yet. It's not just on like Amazon.com. This is designed to be something you're going to slip into an HTML rendering um, for for something like Samba or for um, you know some uh, even the Ubuntu Software Center is HTML. Yeah. So there's lots of right. HTML or, stuff, right? And or a redirect that would, you know, you you poison someone's DNS so that way they open up a funny page or an infected web server, you know, or ad server. Because how many times, for example, say Spiceworks, if you're on one of these legacy systems and you're you use Spiceworks inside your inside your firewall, well, those that particular program does call outside right. ads if you don't pay for it. So there's 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 vectors for infection here. Um, it's just an interesting thing that they're going so far back to to try to target the server market. I would say not the I would say they're targeting the server market and the the slow moving enterprise market, not the day to day user. And I think that's the target right there. There there are two ends of the targeted spectrum. There's the slow moving one, uh, and that's been the case uh, in the Windows world forever. Uh, the guy who is still running Windows 95 on his dial-up modem, you know, he's he's slow moving. He's still, you know, the NIMDA virus is still a big deal to him, um, yep. and it's it's still out there and it's still trying to infect and still doing its thing. Uh, and the enterprise market is akin to that. It's it does not move quickly. In, in fact, often it does not move at all. So a a, a vulnerability can be found that has been fixed seven iterations ago but is still deployed on tens of thousands of machines. And then the other end of that is the bleeding edge. The guys who are using OpenSUSE and Fedora um, who have the bleeding edge stuff, and like the kernel was released yesterday and packaged uh, this morning, and I'm running it this afternoon. Uh, those are vulnerabilities that are going to be found. So those are the two um, edges where vulnerabilities pop up. The vast middle in, in all operating systems is generally pretty well locked down. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of lockdown, if you're uh, running Blizzard or running a Blizzard software on Linux, you may find yourself locked down to to uh, through no fault of your own. Yeah. 
Yeah, this um, Blizzard, you know, they have some very large games. I'm sure most people have heard of World of Warcraft, even if you don't play it. Um, what but is this also, World of Warcraft you speak of? Is this <laughs> is this a new video uh, movie thing? What What is this? I think there's a movie coming out next year, <laughs> and uh, there's a trailer online you can find. But yeah, no, uh, they also, uh, Diablo 3 was released to much hype several months ago, and... Uh, there's a, they don't officially support Linux, but Wine has come such a long way that there are Linux users who play Diablo 3 via Wine on their Linux box. And, um, Blizzard, and, you know, in an effort to keep people from cheating and, you know, just making the game ridiculously easy and hacking it and all that, they are, they look for kind of out of the ordinary things and they, they blocked this guy and they banned him. And the only thing he had done was he had ran Diablo three through wine and he wasn't able to get a refund. Um, but so what he did was he just opened another account and started playing again. And finally they found, they realized that, Oh, he's not doing anything wrong. He's just using wine. And so they offered him, uh, they offered him an apology and like refunded both his accounts. So I guess, you know, effectively he got to play for free for his trouble. So um, it was, it was just a good story that, you know, Blizzard is realizing that, Hey, wait a minute, we can make money off Linux people too. You know, we don't want to make them <laughs> mad. So, uh, you know what I like about that story on both ends, it shows that Blizzard is being proactive. They are proactively yes. looking for people gaming the system and, and actively working against it. And, when it when they're proven wrong, they they step up. So I like that. That says a lot to me about Blizzard as a company. Yeah, Blizzard is a, Blizzard's been a really good company when it comes to anything like that. Um, there for a long time, they were kind of playing the backseat for a while uh, as they were developing and, and letting their other, their older games go and and get gamed and everything else. But uh, they're they're a hard company to get a hold of, but if you can prove your facts, they they do they will listen. Um, I had a couple of pe I know a couple of people that had similar instances with um, some of the older games. So, but yeah, there's Blizzard is one of those companies that they definitely try. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with like say Steam. That if Steam f does a better job than Blizzard does. I think Steam will end up taking a good chunk of the gamers from Linux with them. And uh, there are gamers out there running Linux happily. So, you know, <laughs> you're going to have to have to deal with that. I, I, now I take this. It's just my, my own little um, observation from afar. I've never played Diablo uh, Diablo 1, 2, or 3, even if there was a Diablo 1. I don't even know. I, I've yep. never played them. I don't know anything about them. But from an outside observer, Diablo 3 appears to me like a giant Skinner box. Um, Skinner was a behavioral uh, therapy researcher, and his thing was he put mice in a, in a box with a button, and if you push the button, you give them food, and a light comes on. That's what... Diablo 3 looks like to me. Thousands of people clicking a button to get a food pallet. And that's all it is. You're just moving through the environment, clicking the mouse, clicking the button, clicking the button, clicking the button, clicking the button. You click it enough, the food comes out in the form of loot or game points or yep. whatever. And then you move into the next box and you click the button and you click the button and you click the button. And there doesn't seem to be anything more to it than that. Yeah, well, you know, oh, if you yeah. play with Chun-Li, all you need is one button. <laughs> so... 
Oh, there you go, folks. 35 minutes in, Seth brings up the Chun-Li reference. Dude, you know, I couldn't do all of the combos. I I tried. My hands are just too big and too thick, and they don't move that fast. But I can hit one button repeatedly in a rapid fashion, and that's good enough to win a lot with Chun-Li. So... Oh, taking you way back to the Super NES days. Yeah, Street right. Fighter 2 was an awesome, awesome game. Still is. It still is. It still stands up. Uh, graphics, yes. not so much. Gameplay, uh, anyway. Uh, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it, it doesn't stand up at all. It's actually terrible in comparison. Um, yeah, you remember, uh, what was that first game? That was like the the side scrolling fighter thing, Double Dragon. It's like nobody yeah, had ever Double seen Dragon. anything like Double Dragon before. It was amazing. You could go backwards in this game. There's never been a game before where you could go backwards. It's amazing. Man, I loved playing some Double Dragon. <laughs> I got to where I could make it through on one quarter. Yeah. I thought I was somebody. And it was the I one. It. it was the one button thing, right? Because you're you're hitting the one button, and it's a punch, and then it becomes a grab, and then it becomes a knee to the face, and all you're doing is hitting the one button. It's another scanner yep. box. Yes. Well, it worked. That's they, I, I what pump, video I games are. <laughs> yeah. So while we're on the subject of Windows 8 and UEFI, um, <laughs> we talked about this before Whoa. that uh, um, the Linux Foundation was uh, going to. Uh, they made a promise that they were going to short circuit this whole UEFI thing by creating their own um, uh, signed bootloader that you could always load Windows on a box that was shut down. Not quite working out for them so well. Yes. Um, they looked at two different approaches. Number one, they looked at creating their own certificate with VeriSign, which was apparently going to cost millions of dollars. And so they decided, well, you know, we don't have millions of dollars because we're a free foundation. And so they are trying to get Microsoft to, like, issue them a signed thing. And the first time, uh, you know, and so he's trying and he got like a... Um, he got rejected because it's not a valid Win32 application, and he responded to that post saying, well, of course it's not a Win32 application because it's a 64-bit UEFI binary, and they haven't replied to him. <laughs> so uh, so not to be deterred, he fired up a second virtual machine and tried to do the process over again, and he submitted, and it went through, but then he got a message telling him, oh, you can't use that bootloader because it is... Um, it is, um, what did it say right here? It was basically corrupted somehow. Uh, he, sh he, he shouldn't use the delivered file because it was incorrectly signed. So they are ignoring him with one of his VMs and telling him the file they sent him is incorrectly signed. So they are working towards being the gatekeeper, or no, they would be the key master. Or however. They're working towards being the key master for the Linux community, but the gatekeeper is not doing a good job of providing the key master with a key but once so. gozer the gozerian gets here yes it'll be it'll be bad the stay puff marshmallow man it'll be horrible yes so you know the next post will be you know how do we take down the stay puff marshmallow man it's by crossing the streams yeah so crossing the streams would be bad uh what i what i find interesting there is um i, I i'm i'm making some assumptions some wild assumptions here but i gotta think that shuttleworth probably still has some buddies who work at VeriSign, 
He built VeriSign, sold it. Um, he's not there anymore. Shuttleworth is big into Linux. He was big into VeriSign. You'd think he might be able to make a call or two and say, guys, let's give these people a free certificate. You think? Yeah, that'd be nice, but I have a feeling it's going to be a hard time to do it. Yeah, as as the chat room was pointing out, he built Thought, sold Thought, which became VeriSign, or was bought by VeriSign. Anyway, it's it's the same company. Um, and so he, he's, uh, he, he built Thought, and either it became VeriSign or VeriSign bought Thought from Shuttleworth. But anyway, um, it's the same same company, and he should be able to to make something happen there, I would think. Besides that, he's a bazillionaire. He could write a check for it if he wanted to. Yeah, but then, you know, and that might be what he does with Ubuntu. Because, you know, Ubuntu had their own way of what they were going to do, and the Linux Foundation said, we don't like your way, um, so why don't you do it ours? Um, and I don't remember <laughs> what his way is. Um, does Shuttleworth sit on the Linux Foundation? I don't remember. I, I I had it in my head that he did, but maybe not. Yeah, I thought he did too. Yeah. So I'm wondering why why he's not stepping up here. Anyway, maybe he was trying. Maybe he tried to and got his his little hand slapped and said, "No, this is something that we have to do as a group." <laughs> could be. <laughs> yeah. Could, maybe maybe he's burned enough bridges already. Um. So uh, tell me about OpenBSD. What's the story here? How's that for a transition? Yeah. Uh, hold on. I'm looking at the board members for oh, the Linux see, Foundation. He's still on the old story. I was, okay. I was no, to... he is not on the board. Okay. So, yes. Um, well, apparently. So maybe he's you know, mad that he's not on the board. And yes. So he's not going to do anything. So this is his too. holdout to get on the board. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So he was going to, they were going to do the whole canani- canonical signed bootloaders. And, um and Ufi or the Linux Foundation didn't like it because that would only benefit Canonical. Yeah, we go. Um, yeah, but so anyway, OpenBSD is apparently getting crowded out of all of the open source projects. And you know, first there was Linux or Unix, and then came OpenBSD, and it was around for a long time before the Linux kernel was ever compiled. And now the OpenBSD community is—they're not really whining, but it's kind of like a whine about how all of the projects like the different desktops that are out there in the open source world are becoming more Linux centric and making it hard for OpenBSD to port the work to that platform. And which is, it was just kind of a neat story because in the old days, all the developers were OpenBSD and it was hard for the Linux people to port their stuff to work in the Linux way. But now it's just, there's more Linux developers than the OpenBSD community has. And so since there's more of them that, you know, the projects kind of fall towards that because those are the people working on the project. So they make sure it works with what they have. And uh, I think just, that most of the BSD people right now are behind free BSD and not open BSD, by the way, in case you don't know, stands for Berkeley software distribution. It's a, um, or, uh, sometimes called Berkeley Unix. It was a, a Unix, uh, a licensed version of Unix that Berkeley um, University, Berkeley College, I'm not sure which it was at the time, released for free. And and it's uh, uh, the BSD license is comparable to the GPL license or the Apache license. Uh, so uh, there, it's 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 not so much a thing 
as it is a way of doing things. So uh, BSD is Unix, more or less, and Linux is the son of Unix. Well, kind of think of BSD like you would think of Linux. You know, there isn't the Linux OS. You have the the Debian Linux, Ubuntu Linux, Linux Mint Linux, you know, and so it's like the BSD. You have all these different versions of BSD that at least that's the way I understand it. Uh, yeah. And, it and, is, and according to the infallible Wikipedia, uh, right now of all BSDs in the world, 77% of them uh, are, are free BSD. So the fact that open BSD that's at sitting at 33% is whining. Um, doesn't seem surprising to me. Yeah, but, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, there was a time where BSD kind of ruled the the roost, and now it's Linux. So, and, you know, and tomorrow it will be Android, if it's not already Android today. But, um, so, and it's just like, you know, in, in going on, the software world has kind of left BSD. They've moved past it, maybe. I don't know. It was just an interesting story from a history of computer standpoint. And I don't want to read the whole article because, you know, that gets dry. But I would just, you know, from a geeky history of the Internet and history of computers thing, I would recommend you take the four or five minutes and read it. The the link will be up in the show notes. Just kind of cool to learn the history of your operating system. And because I know there's some math nerd out there saying, 77% 77% and 33% is 110%. You goofed up your moron. Uh, the the bar graph I'm looking at is BSD distribution usage. So of people polled, do you use FreeBSD, OpenBSD, NetBSD, DragonflyBSD, or other? So obviously some people use more than one. So 77% what? of them are using FreeBSD, but they're also some of them are using OpenBSD. So the people numbers don't add up to 100 People run more than one OS at a time? Really? <gasps> Sometimes no. on the same machine, even. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have your Windows computer, your iPhone, and your Galaxy Nexus 7. There's your three right there. But uh, Do we really, yeah. Seth, really have another story about Mego? Yes. Mego is the Remember zombie. to double tap, people. No kidding. <laughs> But yes, apparently it is picked up by, uh, uh, okay, the J-O-L-L-A, is that pronounced Hala? <laughs> sure, why not? I mean, because, you know, I was looking at that, I was like, okay, I know they're not American, they're kind of Finnish, and so they talk funny, at least I think so, uh, <laughs> as funny as they think I talk, but I was like, surely that's not Hala. But uh, yeah, but anyway, they have reached an agreement with a Chinese retailer that are bringing on kind of like uh, the Selfish OS, which was like a port of the Mego project, is now become Mirror with a new user interface. So Mego is not going to die. It is just uh, it's going to keep going, you know, because put it on a treadmill with a phone in front of it. And it will will be perpetual motion. Power the internet. But yes, the uh, you know I just had to put it in there because I love talking about Mego anytime there's a news story that warrants it. So um, yes, apparently there is an agreement reached with this company who they are going to try 
they're going to try to keep it going just as an Android alternative because, you know, even though Google gives away Android, they get the clout of having another Android device. So if you don't like Google and there are people who don't like Google, just like there's people who don't like Apple. And, you know, if you don't like Google and you don't like Apple and you don't like Microsoft, well, there we have Mego. So. <laughs> and And just because, Seth, you tried to do such a good geek joke. Otherwise, I would skip the story entirely. But um, there may or may not be a Fedora 19. In fact, we won't know until we observe it. Right. And, no and kidding. What, will the, uh, what will the observation tell us? But yes, Fedora 19 will be named Schrodinger's, Schroding, Schrodinger. Say, yeah, Schrodinger's Cat. Or perhaps it's already named Schrodinger's Cat. We just don't know yet. But yes... Um, it both just, exists and doesn't exist at the same time. Right. And uh, the only way we can know for certain is to not look. And, uh, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I just thought it was so Schroding, Schrodinger's cat, and it made me think of Stargate where Sam talked <laughs> about it. And then I had to go read about Schrodinger's cat. And uh, so, yes, Fedora 19 has captured the geeky title with schrodinger's cat you know no big <laughs> burrito or chili tamale they went uber geek on us and i don't see how anyone could top that now for those of you not familiar with the world of quantum physics let me give you a 30 second primer on schrodinger's cat erwin schrodinger uh was a physicist from uh, austria um who uh developed some of the core understandings of quantum physics and some one of the basic understandings of quantum physics is that things can be uh, like both positive and negative at the same time, and it's by observing them that we force them to choose one way or the other. Or the other. That's so super oversimplified that don't expect it to make sense. Um, but he gave the analogy of if you put a cat in a box with a radioactive isotope that we know will kill the cat, it's a given. The cat will die from the radiation, but we don't know when it'll happen. So theoretically, the cat at any time is both alive and dead because we know the cat's going to die, but we don't know if it's happened yet. So only by observing, opening the box and observing the cat, can we know is the cat alive or dead? Well, you left out the part where opening the box broke the containment and actually released it to kill the cat instantly. So hence the... Unknow unknowability of whether Schrodinger's cat was actually alive or dead until you checked on it, in which case it was definitely dead. Which, in reality, if you just left the cat there for like a week, we could be pretty sure he was dead because he would starve to death. Right. <laughs> but that's Schrodinger's cat. Um, and for some reason, the Fedora guys thought that would be a good name for a distribution. Well, and it, it won with 1,876 votes. I don't know out of how many, but that was a majority. Mr. Fedora so. Ambassador here, you have more and more to answer for with every release. Yeah. <laughs> but all know, I can say, all I can say is not me that makes the cha the choices. It is the community. The Fedora Ambassadors are the ones that make. They usually do the uh, voting on these names. Which one um, did you vote for, Chris? Um, I missed this one because of all the different things that were going on in my life. So. I can well, honestly, we can never I, know whether or not he voted, right. because only by observing the vote can we be certain, and we can't and, observe right. it. 
And then we won't know how our observation affected the vote. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when the other names are Higgs boson, Loch Ness Monster, uh, Parabolic Potassium, stuff like that, (laughs) you know, Schrodinger's cat. I'm surprised that Higgs didn't win with the Higgs boson being such big news lately. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, Fedora 19, I can assure you, whatever they call it, it's probably going to suck. When it comes out, very late. Are you going off of the every other release idea that the every other release is horrible? And- Actually, I'm going off the every release since Fedora 6 sucked. Thinking. Ah. I'm going since they put GNOME 3 in their OS, it is no longer <laughs> anything other than crap. So, uh... No, but th- cry, there is sort cry, of a, a running gag among Fedoraites that uh, Fedora is much like Star Trek movies. The odd ones suck. The even ones are great. Yeah. So Fedora That's 20, going Schrodinger's on. cat lives. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the wrath of Schrodinger. The return. The return of the cat. So they're going to the slingshot around the earth and go back in time and release Fedora 20, and then it'll be good. Yes. Um, let's talk about one other story about government and openness. In this case, not uh, Munich, but Portugal uh, is, is decided that, that all of their documents will be in the open document format. They haven't gone so far as to say no Microsoft because you can buy an ODF filter for Microsoft. Yeah, but they um, they have come out. The Portuguese Open Source Business Association reported this that the open document format is the sole editable document format allowed by the uh, country's public bodies. So, um, you know, the other possible standard had been the uh, open XML pushed by Microsoft, um, but they decided not to go with that one, and they are instead going ODF. But you know. You know, like uh, Google Docs, I guess, can do ODF, OpenOffice, uh, LibreOffice, Microsoft can. Uh, any, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of others out there that can do ODF as well. So they haven't said, you know, you have to use this OS, but they're saying you have to use this document type. So yay, Portugal, throwing more weight behind the open source world. Yeah, and the idea being, again, government should be transparent and therefore, everything we should we do should be open, and uh, and you shouldn't have to have a specific product to view it. I, for, yeah. Personally, I think that is true for anything for which public money is spent. We sh- the public should then be able to to, to view whatever they create uh, with their funds without having to spend money on proprietary software. Um, yeah, and with when you're with Microsoft who changes their formats perennially, um, you know, that's that gets to be a big deal. And that's one of Microsoft's big things. One of the ways they get they force people to upgrade uh, is by changing formats. So that now if you save something as an XLSX file, you, your person using Office 97 can't open it. Otherwise, Office 97 is perfectly functional and will get by fine and do everything you need to do except it can't open Microsoft's own new things. So they're, they're pushing you in that direction. Open standards uh, prevent that from happening. Right. So it's a, I think it's a good thing. I also think it's um, less of a win than the, the open source zealots like to think it is. 
You know, it's just a file format. These people will go download the ODF format and stick it into Windows and uh, uh, Microsoft Office and still be using Office. So it's not going to drive change on the desktop. It's, it's going to take something like happened in Munich. It's going to take a, a system-wide uh, change from, from the top down for that to yeah. happen. Yeah, but at least it, in theory anyway, it protects their ability to access the data. Because, you know, if everything was stored in whatever proprietary format, and then all of a sudden that company says, oh, we're not going to release our format anymore, and if you want to access it, it has to be with our new version, which happens to cost 20 times more than it used to. So, uh, so uh, plain text for the win. Yes, definitely. A .txt document for me, thank you. Yeah, or you could just print really? out a paper copy and file it. So. <laughs> oh, yes, paper. That's the way to go, because you can literally cut and paste that. And yes. that works perfectly. And there's always more trees, so. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> because we're ecologically and responsibly cutting down the trees. They, see, what happens is Georgia Pacific paper goes out into the forest, and they only cut down the trees with the ribbon tied around them that somebody's grandmother said was in the way. Right. There well, you, you know, and all those trees that died in the drought, we got to cut them down before they fall and hurt something. You don't want Bambi to get hurt <laughs> when a tree falls when they're walking by. Don't you love Bambi, Mark? Yes. I know I, they taste delicious. Sorry. I once heard a famous radio commentator, I won't invoke his name for fear of flame, ask a simple question one time. What do you do when you find an endangered bird that eats only endangered fish? Think about that. <laughs> So, My brain just exploded. <laughs> um, we do have we don't really have a topics for uh, per se this week, but there was one article that uh, Seth found that that we thought, <coughs> excuse me, was interesting enough to have a look at, and it was uh, uh, conquering your fear of Linux failure. And this is uh, from LinuxInsider.com. The article is a, a few weeks old, uh, but it, it brings up an interesting point that. Most people uh, who are reticent to try Linux um, are uh, it stems from a fear of failure that they don't want to hose their system. They don't really want to be left with a machine that doesn't work. So he breaks down some of the major challenges um, and um, doesn't really offer any solutions, but uh, some of the challenges. And one of them, a lot of these we've talked about before, but I thought it was interesting to go ahead and talk. Uh, uh, talk about it again, and of course the link will be in the show notes if you want to read the article. The first thing he talk about, talks about, though, is the hardware. And again, as as we've said on the show a number of times, it's often the newest whiz-bang hardware that you're going to have trouble with. Yep. Uh, and so you can never um, be 100% sure unless you're willing to do the homework and look at the components list and say, does this machine work with this? Or in the reverse go to a Linux website that lists this model of this machine from Dell or this model of this machine from Asus is fully supported. And take the time to look it up and look at, look up every component because like, for example, the new rig that I just built this summer um, wasn't fully supported until just recently. So I've, I've been, you know, you guys wouldn't know it, but I've been limping along until just recently and now all my stuff is being supported. Well, or, and hope whatever website you go to is still current and not just yeah. an archived page from 1996, um, you know, that talks about your, this brand new thing called a 10 meg NIC that they are going to support in the next version of the OS. So, uh, that's, and that's, 
that is still a weakness in the Linux community. There's getting to be tons of documentation, but is the documentation that you are looking at current? Um, right. And one specific piece of hardware that Jack M. Germain, the uh, author of the article, points about is Wi-Fi, the dreaded Wi-Fi that we've talked about many times before. Uh, and he he bought a new Whizbang uh, computer, a laptop, plugged uh, plugged Linux Mint on it, and the Wi-Fi didn't work. And of course, he traced it and found out it was the dreaded Broadcom chipset. And at this point, they're they're I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, an overstatement here. But there are pretty much no drivers that work 100 percent of the time on broad on Broadcom chips. There are some Windows hacks or Linux, <laughs> right? There are some hacks that sort of work, but Broadcom chips are cheap, and and manufacturers are still using them. And uh, he goes on to talk about how uh, he could he bought looked at two machines from the same manufacturer, just slightly different yeah. model numbers. And and you might and might even not even be the same. You could buy a Dell nineteen ninety one. I don't even know if that's a real number uh, laptop. And you could look at five different Dell nineteen ninety one laptops and have different hardware. And you go to their website and you go to drivers. I've done this. You know when I was working as a tech, did this all the time. You go to the go to Dell's website and put in the exact model the, by the service tag, the exact device that you have, and you go to their drivers page and there's seven different network card drivers on it. Yes, by three or four different companies. Right, and they literally yeah. don't know which one was put in there. They bought a bunch, they threw them in a bin, and a Chinese slave uh, installed them, and they literally have no idea which chip is in there. So they and just drives, give you all of them. Oh, it drives me crazy when I have to do that, especially at the home business when I or you know HP is just as bad. I, I've I've been working on an HP for the last couple of days that there are fifteen different network drivers. 15 really come on now yeah and yeah. Uh, well i was just going to point out that he had the exact opposite experience of me i was perfectly happy with ubuntu on my little um netbook until the latest version dropped support for the wi-fi card that i had and so then i switched over to linux mint which still supported it so it even and this is another brings up another point he even if one version, oh, look, Ubuntu supports this. Well, it turns out the old version of Ubuntu right. did. The new one didn't. So just finding somewhere that your distro supports it, does your current distro support it? And I can speak uh, to that personally. As a as an Ubuntu user, I upgraded from, uh, I think it was uh, 6.10 or, or 10.6 to uh, uh, 10.10. And didn't work. My my some card, I don't remember what it was, sound card, I think, went away. And, and you know, going through the re release notes, oh, by the way, we dropped support for this uh, chipset that happens to only be in about 75% of the laptops in the world. We didn't think we needed it anymore. Yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't support <laughs> anything over 50% anymore. And, and being a geek, you know, I could go in there and I could fix that. I could go manually download that. I didn't have to compile it or anything. It was out there and I could I could make it work. But if you're not a geek, if you're just the grandma user, that that's a total whole uh, uh, shot. Just It just blew a hole right in your whole Linux experience. Yep. Uh, yep. But as the uh, the author of the article goes on to say, he uh, had an, a, a good idea that, uh, yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to recommend this, but I'm talking about he took a, a DVD, a live disc of Linux Mint, took it to the store, popped it in machines until he found one and it worked on. 
I'm not sure that every store is going to let you do that. Um, I, I suspect he probably flashed a press credential to be able to do that, and I wouldn't expect me to be able to walk up to my local Best Buy uh, and try to do that. But uh, you're welcome to try it. Uh, but then you might run into the same thing that the the display model that you bought works, but the one that you get in the box with the exact same model number doesn't work. But, yeah. you know, I'm sure um, places are getting pretty – if you walked in and said – I'm, if I can boot this CD and this works, this works, and this works, this is the credit card I'm going to pay for it and walk out of here with. I'm sure most places, you know, would say, okay. Yeah. It could well, be. Yeah. I don't know. It depends most on the who you are, get to talk to. Yeah. Well, that I was going to say, it's the salesman and the floor, or the floor manager that's going to be the key there. Yeah. But, yeah, most of the time, I don't know if I would try it. Well, three, if, if I was, three words. If I was, Commission. <laughs> if I was a single guy who didn't have to worry about anything, I would do all sorts of crazy things to those Best Buy techs. Oh wait, I did. But uh, <laughs> uh, just a quick Best Buy story. A few years ago, I may have told the story before, but I'm the one behind the mic, and you can't stop me. A few years ago, I was going to buy my wife uh, a new computer, uh, or maybe the family computer. I don't remember which, but it was something that I didn't need horsepower. I didn't need specs. I just needed something for my wife and kids to use. Plain and simple. So I went to Best Buy. I said, I like that color. And I pointed to that one and I walked away. Um, and, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't the cheapest one, but it wasn't the most expensive one. And uh, so they, they go get one off the shelf and they say, oh, well, this one's been optimized. So that'll be an extra $25. And I said, no, I don't, I'm not going to pay that. Well, it's, it's been optimized. I, I understand that it's been optimized. I didn't ask you to optimize it. I'm not going to pay it. Uh, go get me one that hasn't been optimized. We don't have any. We optimize them all when they come in the store. So this is a product that I can't opt out of, and you're going to charge me extra for it. Yes. All right, well, I'm not going to pay it. So you ring it up, minus the optimization fee, and I'll buy it. And he wouldn't do it. And I said, okay, let me make this very clear to you. I am going to buy this $1,000 machine from you right now as long as you don't charge me the extra $25. But if you're a dick and you're going to charge me the $25, you're going to lose a $1,000 sale. And he said, I'm sorry, sir, we can't do it. So I walked out. Yep. I've been right with you. Matter of fact, I've done it a couple of times. So I drove about nine miles down the road to another Best Buy and pointed to the same machine. And he said, well, that one's been optimized. I said, I'm not paying for it. They said, okay. And I left. (laughs) And I bought it, and and it was fine. So, yeah, the whole commission thing didn't quite work out so well for him. He had already made his. He didn't care. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> but anyway, back to the story. Uh, it depends on which salesman you get, which pimply-faced geek you get. Um, they may help you. And, and if you're super lucky, you'll get the one guy who knows about Linux. And they'll say, oh, dude, I know this is the one. This is what I use. And and I've got uh, Fedora 19, Schrodinger's cat, maybe running on it in the future. I'm not really sure yet. I haven't observed it. Uh, and then it'll be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and then he goes on, let's see, uh, uh, talks about drivers and stuff and sound cards. You know, what, what not there's the video card stuff the graphic cards can be a problem just as much as as wi-fi but i will say the graphic cards pretty much are going to work you may not get optimum performance out of them so if you're looking at a big gaming machine 
that's going to be a big deal. But I have not run across any Linux distribution uh, from, you know, Puppy Linux and, and you know, going way back to uh, the old stuff where the dr video driver just flat didn't work. Have you guys experienced that at all? No, I haven't. It's always at least given you some option. You know, like you said, yeah. maybe not maybe not the best capable for that display model, but at least, you know, SVGA or something. So, so uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's just been uh, my experience, that if you're a gamer and you need 3D rendering, uh, then, yeah, that's something you really got to pay attention to. But for the average person, the people that this, this show is, is about, don't worry about graphics cards. Uh, and the same for audio cards. Uh, yep. He goes in there to say that sound cards can be tricky as well. You know, I don't really see that. That that problem has been fixed in my experience. I haven't had a sound card problem uh, since all that Ubuntu installation um, that I was able to fix. Uh, pretty much everything is right now using the uh, ALSA. Uh, I don't remember what that stands for. Linux drivers is a very solid uh, Linux uh, uh, sound card driver set. Now you're not going to get things like you know, the Beats audio button isn't going to come on. Sorry, um, yeah. You're not going to get the expanded 3D super sound out of it. Um, just out of the box, you may be able to go make that happen, but you're probably not going to get it just out of the box. Right. Well, and, and a lot of things are now being piped into Pulse. And right. Pulse people people are still having issues with Pulse, but that's a new technology that's still um, it, most of the bugs have been squished in it. But there's still a few that are floating around. Uh, for example, Skype. Uh, I don't understand why Skype is still a Pulse issue, but it still is, at least for me. Um, but yeah, I, as far as as sound and video drivers, nine times out of ten, you're gonna have no problem with it, um, unless you're running a weird card like my work machine and my personal machine are both of that particular I'm, I'm just that lucky guys um, right. my work <laughs> machine I have to have the proprietary drivers or else I have artifacts so bad that I can't see anything and then my personal machine the card is like a month old or two months old and the uh, the Linux driver for, from NVIDIA just in the open source driver from for NVIDIA just doesn't quite cover things um, I end up with less than perfect display, but it does work. Uh, I, I think the one driver that I always have the issue with is my work one because it's such a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah, and as I've talked about before on the show, the laptop that I'm using right now to produce this show on uh, is an Asus uh, Republic of Gamers laptop. And uh, at the time that I bought it, the uh, graphics card uh, would work, but I didn't get uh, th uh, compositing. Uh, I didn't get the, any of the 3D rendering effects, and uh, that, was, for me, was a deal breaker. And so I'm running Windows 7 on it. It came with Windows 7. I just reverted back to that, and I haven't gone back to see if it will work. So that's what I'm talking You know, When I said it's now, I've never had one not work, um, that's true. But it's also true that I had one that, wouldn't, that I wouldn't accept. So the, the machine I'm on right now, the, the, it would work, but the quality was such that I wouldn't accept it. And so I'm not running Linux on it. Right. Uh, and then he goes almost, on to talk. Um, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, Mark, it'd almost be an interesting experience to see what would, you know, if you ran that brand new version of Linux Mint, would your machine accept it? That, you know, ROG machine. Yeah, I, I expect it would. It's uh, over a year old now, and they've had time to work on that. I, I expect it would. 
I just haven't uh, haven't gone around to make that happen. But you'll, but, have, to, you'll have to download an ISO or something and right. give it a whirl. Yeah, the live the live CD, live DVD, pin drive, whatever you want to do, is really the best way to test that out. Uh, because I, I, there have been a few times where the live disc has worked for me, but the install didn't. Right. Um, yeah, that's happened before. But what that means is that the install just didn't have the everything driver on it. You know it can work because the live disc did. So there's going to have yep. to be some more work. Right. Uh, but I, you know, generally, if the live disc works, you're going to be able to make it go. Uh, and then uh, the author goes on to talk about uh, printers and scanners. Um, we've lamented printing here before. Um, to get a printer that works in Linux, you have to first find out a printer that works in Linux and go buy that one. Don't yep. expect the $50 Canon at Walmart to work. It's just not going to. Right. Or if it does, it'll be non-feature rich and basic printing. Right. Because a lot of times those those fifty dollar printers are running drivers that have been around for, you know, two or three years, like HP does. Especially now that they're moving to that unified printer system. So, just recently, my family went through uh, four printers in the span of three months. Wow! Uh, just they they just didn't work, or they broke. Uh, you know, they, they, they were DOA, didn't work out of the box. I send it back. I get another one. It works for a week and then stops working. Uh, this most recent one uh, worked for about a month. And then every time you turn it on, it says there's a paper jam. There is no paper jam. There's no paper in it. There's no nothing. It says there's a paper jam. I call um, HP. The tech support guy goes, oh, yeah, that's a known problem. Okay, so fix the known problem. No kidding. Um, so finally, I just yeah. I, I'm done. I just ate that one. I'm done, and I went and bought another one. And instead of buying a fifty dollar printer, I went and dropped a couple hundred bucks on something that I know is going to have some quality. So I, I am done with cheap printers from now on. I used to think buy the cheap ones and treat them like underwear. You know, wear them for a while and throw them away. Um, just just don't expect them to last forever. In fact, the odds are that when it comes time to buy ink, it's going to cost as much or more than the new printer. So just buy a new printer. Yeah, and, right. Uh, and and I that that's that's American consumerism, but it works, you know. And but I've finally I'm done with that. I've decided I'm going to spend big bucks on a printer, um, and I'm going to keep it. I'm going to nurse it for as long as I can. And you lose money on printing, um, just period. That's all there's yeah. to it. The the refills are what cost you money. If you buy a laser, you may think the toner's not so bad, but the first time you have to buy a transfer kit. And it's eight hundred and fifty dollars yeah. for a machine you spent three hundred dollars on. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if all of us guys, we've all been in enterprise NT. We know about that. It's it's the 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 circle of death for printers. You can buy a twenty five hundred dollar super max, uh, sixty page per minute color laser that is just freaking amazing. And in a year's time, you'll have spent $4,000 in replacement parts on it. Yeah. It's just a given. Yeah, I got lucky with the current laser I'm running with right now. Um, I've had it since my wife was in college, um, almost six years now. And she's still purring like a kitten, burning toner like crazy when I print things. But uh, Is it a black other, and white? Or color? No, it's a full color. Wow. It's a full color laser. Um, yeah, if you can find the 2600... It's the uh, HP Color Laser 2605DN. She's an awesome little printer. She uh, 
prints and prints and prints, and there is a Linux driver that you can go download, so it does fully work in Linux. Um, Network-based, so it's a good little printer, and I stand behind it. It's a great one. Yeah, I've used those before, and they're great, but the the fact remains that when you start refilling toner and replacing parts, you've, you end up spending far more than you paid on the printer. Oh yeah. Well, once once I as long as it, uh, the way I looked at this printer, as long as I can, the only thing I'm replacing is the toner cartridges. I'll keep it. The second something bigger than the toner cartridge breaks, she's done. Yeah. <laughs> and in, in in education where I worked, particularly uh, in the elementary world, where they're running coloring sheets and newsletters to the parents and that sort of stuff, it was not uncommon for a one printer to run a million sheets in a year. Uh, and right. so, oh, yeah. you know, for, forget the hundreds of dollars on toners. That's a given. Uh, now we're talking two fuser kits a year at between three fifty and six hundred dollars a piece, depending on what they are, uh, and Ooh. a transfer kit at around four hundred dollars a piece uh, at least once a year. Uh, and then, you know, some models have that waste toner collection bottle that literally does nothing but fill up with old toner, but you can't empty it. You got to buy a new one at forty bucks. Uh, every time, so that's, recall. It's, yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to mention any brands, but Seth knows he's had experience. Yeah, well, everybody in IT knows. There's a there's a no hiding what that was. Yeah, HP they just dump toner on the ground, and you have to mop it up every now and then. Rico has yep. a special little bottle uh, that fills up. And has a chip in it that says, I have been used. You must now throw me away. It's awesome. Yeah, such a great great idea. <laughs> but yeah, I've been talking, uh, toying with buying a color laser for the house. Because I figure I could buy one now. My oldest kid is 18. My youngest is, uh, no, my my oldest kid is 10. My I youngest is 4. I was about to say, what? <laughs> uh, I should be able to use that until my youngest is through college if I buy a good one. You know, and just go ahead and drop the money on a nice color laser that can spit out, you know, 15, 20 pages a minute in color. Um, I've just never been able to pull that trigger because I'm a tightwad. Right. Yeah. That It, it was an expensive little purchase when we got it. But, uh, you know, honestly, I haven't looked back since we got it. So a couple of websites that the uh, article points at, openprinting.org uh, for a list of printers that will work in Linux. The Sane Project for scanners uh, and LinuxDrivers.org uh, that will hopefully find a driver that you want. But uh, really, your um, best bet with, you know, I've said this before and it sounds ridiculous. And for, no, it doesn't sound ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It is a ridiculous expectation. But the reality is that with Linux, um, you have to find the hardware that will work with the software instead of just throwing whatever software you want on your hardware. Right. And again, yeah. it's not as it's not as universally true as it was, but it is still pretty true. Yeah. And again, I like Linux. I know I ramble about this, but because I'm a member of the community and because I'm passionate about this uh, this operating system and this community and this movement, it frustrates me. When I have to tell somebody, uh, yeah, you're going to have to go look up the laptop you want and see if Linux supports it. If not, use Windows or get a different laptop. That's a stupid thing to have to say. But the reality is that we do right now. We're at a point where we can't just put any Linux distro on any machine and expect it to work. Yeah, it's just silly like that. I don't understand it either. Yeah. 
but we're getting better. Like Seth said, we're definitely getting better. We're just I'm, not there yet. It just I'm frustrates me. Though. Better. Yeah. <laughs> think I'll go for a walk. Um, it, it just frustrates me that we're so far along. This is freaking 2012. Um, we are, how many versions of Ubuntu have there been now? Um, too many. 15 ish. I'm just pulling that number out of my, uh, off of the uh, top of my head. But, uh, you know, Ubuntu was supposed to be that throw on any hardware distribution. And 15 plus iterations in, it's still not. And it just but, frustrates me that we're not yet, there yet. But we've only got like about two weeks till the apocalypse. So really, one. <laughs> December 22nd, it won't matter yeah. anymore. The funny thing is about that whole descent, the that day, my friends and I are going to do a end of the world party. So it should be entertaining to see what we do. Cool. Are you going to go to that island out in the Pacific? Um, <laughs> Easter Island? No, there, there's one out there. It was this awesome thing on the History Channel where this guy supposedly found this secret Mayan altar place that you get perfect view of the planetary alignment. And um, so, and it was built by Mayan kings to view the end of the world kind of thing. But anyway. It sorry. turns out really? the Mayans were actually predicting the demise of the Twinkie. Yes. That's really oh. what it ended up being. Uh, yeah. Dowdle in the chat room uh, uh, says, uh, more hardware works with Linux than with a Mac. That's a specious argument, and I'm going to call you out on it. Apple sells hardware. The software is a freebie. So that that's not a real argument. You can't say that. Yes, Mac software only works with a couple of uh, lines of hardware because Apple only sells a couple of lines of hardware. They don't sell software. So there that is you go. right. You can't just go out and buy Snow Leopard, Mutant Ninja, whatever it is this week. <laughs> you have to have Apple hardware. Well, you buy. can, but they'll sue you um, because that's, people have tried that. So what was it? Paystar? Aren't they the yes. ones who tried to do the Mac clones and got sued? Yeah, the whole Hackintosh thing. Yeah. All right, so that's enough rambling and ranting for one show. Uh, don't worry, there'll be more next week. Definitely. Uh, so, uh, Chris, Seth, do we have any tips this week? Chris, uh, yeah, ahead. actually, I do. Um, I, I've been, I was called out earlier by Magic Obi-Wan, so uh, he asked me for two tips this week, and what I ended up doing is I'm going to do two types of tip, or they're the same basic idea for the tip, um, but they work hand-in-hand hand to edit text files. Um, obviously, you can always open up, you know, gedit or something like that. But this is a way to actually put text into a file without actually opening the file using the echo and then the uh, greater than symbol and, or <laughs> echo and double greater than symbol for depending on if you want it to be um, whatever text you put into a file. If one, the one greater than symbol will replace everything in the file the double the double greater than signal will do append. a append so there you go there's your two different tips ha 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 <laughs> did you really just throw down copy con you did didn't you <laughs> yes i did <laughs> oh okay i'm not even going to discuss that that was weak <laughs> sauce that was weak Seth, what do you got for us this week? Okay, I came across this recently, and I thought I would share. It is Mozilla's product, Popcorn Maker. 
it is a website and it is designed to kind of remix and share web audio so if there's something on the internet that you like or you know you have some pictures or slides or whatever and you want to make a video to upload to some site such as YouTube or Google Plus or Facebook or whatever you can go to Popcorn Maker and it is popcorn.webmaker.org and uh, you know you can just click start a project and go there or you can do the take a tutorial and see if it's something you like to do so uh it's kind of uh it's kind of like a, a movie maker online and who doesn't oh. love popcorn yeah i found one and that, it's that totally source. wins hold on i i I'll, i gotta copy this into the chat room because this is amazing they have a thing about how to cover what is it how to co- how to make chocolate bacon <laughs> chocolate bacon Mm, chocolate. That's bacon. what the Mayans were predicting. That's the end of the world. Chocolate-covered bacon. Yeah, you can't have anything better than that right there. <laughs> Sorry. All right, guys. Thanks for being uh, the excellent, studious, and um, well-rounded hosts that you always are. Uh, <laughs> thank you, listeners. Uh, uh, guys, for being in the chat room. Uh, Magi, Obi-Wan, Dowdle, uh, and whoever else was there but didn't say anything. Thanks for for being with us, and and thank you for being a listener. And hey, do me a favor. Go to iTunes and give us a rating and a comment. We would appreciate that. And uh, I did have, um, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name, (laughs) but somebody popped into the chat room from Germany the other day and wanted me to pass on that he loves the shows, he loves you guys, thanks for doing it, and I'm sorry I've forgotten your name, I didn't write it down, but he's a new listener, um, has just recently discovered the show and has gone back and started listening to the old archive uh, of, of shows wow. from, from way back, so uh, uh, he is uh, clearly a masochist, uh, so... Uh, <laughs> We appreciate your appreciation. And and all of you out there, thanks for listening. You are why we do this show. So uh, that's all I got to say about that. Uh, Good night, everybody. And that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.